All right. So last week, you know, we're, we're in our <clears throat> Beyond Fortune Cookie Faith series. And uh, so many people came up to me and said, I wondered how you were going to bring out that fortune cookie in the sermon. So if, if you're new here or you're a guest this morning, um, what we've been talking about is uh, singular verses that we know and we love and we have ideas of what they mean, but maybe we've missed their context, what, what they're really talking about. And so... Um, the idea is, if you just take a verse and assume you know what it means, you may have a fortune cookie kind of faith. But we want to go beyond that. We want to go deeper into the scripture and understand these, these great verses that we cling to, to understand what they really mean. So, in honor of the series, you know, we're opening our fortune cookie of the morning. And again, the challenge will be, can I use the fortune in the sermon? That, that's the question. And apparently, some of you are paying closer attention because I'm doing this. That's what I heard last week, at least. So, I don't know. All right. Oh, this one's not bad. Uh, <clears throat> a great day lies ahead in the not-too-distant future. All right. A great day lies ahead in the not-too-distant future. That one will not be hard. I, I am sure we can work that one in somewhere. Great day lies ahead. All right. Would you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, verse 10? James 2, verse 10. James is one of those books, if you really like practical, hands-on Christianity, uh, James is your book. And, and some of you have told me it is your favorite book uh, because of that. James 2, verse 10. If you're in a, a Bible in the chair, it might be page 855. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, this verse has led people to assume or to think, and I understand why, that maybe to God, all of our sin is like equal. No matter how big or how bad, you know, the murder looks the same as the lie in God's eyes. Spiritually speaking, all sin is equal. Now that is what I would say would be the misinterpretation of James 2.10. But I hear it I hear it with some regularity, you know, and I understand why, because you kind of read it and it kind of sounds like it. Like, if, if I commit one sin, I'm guilty of all of it, which makes it sound like I did, I actually did those sins, even though I didn't. So, let's read 10 again and a couple verses following and we'll get some more context. Uh, James 2, 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. All right. 
Um, I think on the one hand, this verse is difficult because if we really believed it, that all sins are kind of equal in God's sight, what's going to stop you from committing bigger sins? You know, I mean, that just, is, there, is there kind of like an underhanded encouragement there? If you think a swear word, why would you not just say it? Because it's already there and you've already committed something wrong, right? So just you just say it. Or why stop? Why stop yourself? Now, on the one hand, we already know, we already know that Jesus was talking to Pilate and Jesus said, the ones who have delivered me to you are guilty of a greater sin. And so Jesus apparently had different levels of sin that he would talk about. The one that delivered me to you is guilty, that would be the Jewish people, are guilty of a greater sin. Or then when he taught about judgment and final judgment before God, he said, people that know the master's will and don't do it are going to be beaten with a more severe beating. Meaning your final judgment's going to be worse if you knew who you were supposed to believe and you didn't believe in him. If you knew it, but you didn't, you didn't actually put your faith in him. It'd be worse for you. So I've always read that and taken it to mean that when God judges people eternally, the punishment's going to fit the crime. And it, it all, it's, not, it's, not, it's not all equal in, in that eternal condemnation kind of way. So, um, and I know there's others I could talk about, but just, just to put it out there that biblically we shouldn't say that all sin is equal. Um, Paul also talks about people that sin against their body, which would be a sexual sin, a sin against the body. And apparently he considers that to be a little bit more, um, more of a sin, a greater sin than others. So I think we can establish that there are greater sins and lesser sins. We understand that from our own human context. But what does it mean then to say, if you break one law, you're guilty of all of the law? What does that mean? Well, here's the context. Uh, James 2, if you're looking at James 2, you'll notice in James 2, verse 1, it says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Some of your translations may say partiality. Favoritism is this thing where, and, and James illustrates it, he says, um, someone comes into your church, and he's wearing nice clothes, and he's wearing uh, uh, gold rings, and you give him a nice seat. So, so you can imagine in our day, you know, the, the person drives up in a nice car. They're wearing designer clothes. And they come in. Their shoes look great. And they're sitting among you. And you give them the best seat. But he says, and then someone comes in with shabby clothes. And you say, you can have a seat on the floor. You know, sit by my feet. Which is a smelly place to sit, is what James is pointing out, you know. That's like the worst place to sit. He's like, you can sit by my feet. That's all right. Um, James says, Aren't, haven't you become evil judges like, you're judging people. So, so here's the deal with favoritism. Favoritism is when I look at someone's outward appearance and I make a judgment about them just based on how they look. I look at the outside instead of the inside. And we know God doesn't do this, right? Because God looks at the heart. So God doesn't do it, so we better not do it. And James is talking about favoritism. Some of you have experienced this in your families where one of your siblings was favored and it wasn't you and, and you carried this and even talking about it just, just brings up that knot in your stomach, those things that you felt for so, so long. Favoritism is painful, it hurts. And, and, and James says on the church level, it cannot, cannot, cannot happen. It can't happen. Not in your homes, not in your churches. 
This is the context of James 2. Now, if I could read between the lines a little bit, I imagine people in that church that James is writing to, they're saying, what's the big deal? I mean, of course you're going to give a rich guy the nice chair, because he could buy the chair, for goodness sake. He, he, could, he could fund the ministry for a year. He's influential in the community. Why wouldn't you want church influence in your community? Of course you've got to welcome the rich in. Of course you've got to be good to them. The poor, the shabby clothing, you know, the guy pulls up in the rusty car. I mean, what are they going to do for the church, really? You see where this goes? You, you just look at the outside of the person and you made all of these judgments. And they're making excuses for it. And that is the issue. They're, they're excusing it. Like, this is no big deal. And so James 2 is, is James trying to say, this is a big deal. This is a big sin. And so in verse 9, he says, uh, verse 8, he says, If you keep the royal law found in the scripture, that would be the kingly law, the law of the king, the law Jesus gave, the law in the Old Testament, Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. This is what James is trying to do. The church is saying, partiality is a little sin. Prejudice, that's a little sin. Looking at the outside and judging the inside, that's not a big deal. By the way, I mean, I think a lot of us would agree that maybe one of the American sins that stands out uh, most starkly, has to do with favoritism. We call it racism. And, 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 and by the way, that's exactly what Peter's talking about in Acts when he says, even the Gentiles have been given the Spirit. Peter says, God doesn't show favoritism. He, God doesn't show partiality. And Peter's point is, if God is, is now saving those unclean Gentiles that we can't stand, God must not play favorites in a racial way. And neither can we. Okay, so, so, here's, here's James' point. The reason James writes, I, I, I'm pretty sure, the reason James writes, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I believe he writes that to say this. Your personal sin is worse than you think. That's my main point of this sermon. If you wrote down that one thing, you got it. Your personal sin is worse than you think. Write that down. That's James' point. So, so whether it's favoritism or, or take a second and think about whatever it is that you do and that you excuse and say it's not a big deal, no one knows about it, I'm not hurting anybody, I don't see the problem, yes, I know it's, there's a command about it, but... but, but Whatever that is for you, your personal sin is worse than you think. It's like that uh, Monty Python skit where they cut off the knight's arms, you know, he's missing his, just a flesh wound, you know? It's, it's no big deal. It's not a big deal. It's like when your kid breaks the vase and super glues it back together. If you turn it this way, you'll never see the crack, you know? It's okay. It's not a big deal. And you're going, it is a big deal. It's broken. And you're broken too, you know? I mean, it's just like, why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's not a big deal. No, James says it's actually worse than you can imagine. Now, 
Whatever it is that you're thinking about, whatever sin that you typically excuse and say, and, and say, ha ha, it's not a big deal, keep that in mind. You know, I was just, it's amazing. Um, I'm always surprised because we always have sins that we kind of rank as higher than others. And sometimes some people's small sins seem worse to me. You know, like they, they, they mention what they think is a small sin, and I'm like, whoa, now that's a little surprising that you just told me that you did that. Like I'm a pastor, and you're just like, I did this last night, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, really? That wasn't good, you know. Um, <laughs> one of the recent ones was, no, I probably shouldn't say that. Never mind, never mind, never mind. Is this the time for my fortune? No, nope, not yet, okay. <laughs> not yet, all right. Um, but I'm surprised, and maybe you are too, when someone says, oh yeah, I got plastered last night, ha, 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 and you see him on Sunday morning, and you're like, was that really funny? You know, was that really a great thing that you did last night? Okay. Um, it's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. Why? Why is my personal sin that I feel like is not really a big deal, why is it worse than I think? Well, check out the scripture again. Verse 10. Actually, let's go to verse 11. So I'm going to explain verse 10 in a minute. You know, I think, again, the explanation of verse 10 is, that your sin is worse than you think, but I'm going, to, I'm going to get a little bit deeper into that. But look at verse 11. For he who said... Now, the word for means James is trying to say, I'm explaining this a little bit further to make sure you get my point. For. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. For he who said... Verse 11. For he who said... Um, that's a very Jewish way of writing about God, isn't it? Like, he's not even using God's name. For he who said. He could have used God, or Jesus, Christ, however he wants to say it, but he doesn't even use, he doesn't even use the sacred name, he just says, he who said. There's a reverence there for God's name. You know, and we just toss the name around, right? I mean, we hear people tossing the name around. I was just at the beach, and, and that kid must have said God's name 12 times as he was in the water, and I'm like, you're driving me crazy, kid, you know? Uh, th- th- that's just what we do. You know, we use God's name. A- and James says, he who said, I want to be careful. His name is holy. I want to treat it with reverence. And that holy God has spoken. So consider this. Why is my sin worse than I think? Number one, and this is my biggest point as well. This is the one you want to underline. I got two other ones coming, but this is the big one. He who said means this. When you sin, big or small, you have defied a holy God. That's number one. He who said. You have defied a holy God. Because God spoke. It wasn't Moses that wrote it. It wasn't James that wrote it. I mean, yeah, they took the pen and the paper and all that. But but God did it. He inspired it. These are his laws. And favoritism is one of them. Uh, uh, you know, do not lie, do not gossip, do not lust, do not commit adultery, do not murder. They're all His. They're all His. Do not steal. They're His. It's always funny when Christians are like, you know, stealing. You know, uh, I, I don't steal. I just download illegally. You know, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. If you defy a holy God, that is a big, big deal. Because this is what you're saying. 
This is what you're saying. You're saying, God, I know you have said, do not gossip. But I can't resist telling somebody what I know. I can't resist it, and it's no big deal, and I can apologize for it later, and I can, it's okay, it's a small thing. God, I know you tell me not to look, but, but I can't help myself, and I've been doing it forever, and, and, and nobody knows about it, and I'm not hurting anybody, I'm just, no. You, can we just say it? You are defying a holy God. Do you get that? Um, one, I, many of you know I've, I've had a long history in youth ministry. This one time I was walking behind a student and, and they were eating some candy or something. And, and, you know, and, and you know how it goes. You've seen it a million times. They rip, the, rip the, the paper off and they just throw it down on the ground. And we're outside. And I was like, uh, you, you need to pick that up. And I'll never forget this. The person looked at me, looked back forward, and just kept walking. And I'm like, I know they saw me. I know they heard me or they wouldn't have turned around. I know I got their name right and they looked at me and I don't don't know if they looked at the wrapper on the ground, but they just kept walking. Oh my goodness. You know, it's like you've just defied the pastor, you know. Um, (laughs) um, I didn't say the holy pastor. Um, Do you understand that though? When you say it's no big deal, I know there's a command about it. I know, I know God said it, but it's no big deal. Do you know how stupid that sounds? For you to think that and do that and say that in your own heart, it's not a big deal. You've defied God. Okay. Your sin is worse than you think. Um, why else is sin worse than you think? Let's deal with verse 10 and see. Here's verse 10. Uh, the one that we have trouble with sometimes. Um, whoever keeps the whole law, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Let me tell you the view that James has when he says you're guilty of breaking all the law. This is what he means. He's doing something very Jewish. He is viewing the law as a whole. The whole law. As a unit. Uh, this is Jewish because you have like in Deuteronomy... Uh, Deuteronomy 28, 27, I think, or is it? No, 27, 26. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law, singular, the law, by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. You are cursed if you don't do all the words, plural, of the law, singular. The law contains many commands. If you don't do one of them, you've broken the law as a whole. You've broken it. You've broken the covenant. You have done wrong. So, so there's a unity of the law. So our sin's worse than you think because when you commit sin, you have broken the law as a whole. It's kind of like this. You're out playing baseball with your kids and they hit a big one and it goes up, up, up and it goes into the church window. So now you've got to come clean and you've got to walk up to the pastor or priest and it was a stained glass window and oh my goodness you can't believe you were doing this by the church what were you thinking and you go up to the pastor the priest and you say you know it's just a little hole in the bottom of the window the whole window didn't shatter just the bottom so you got like 75 percent maybe more of a good window well they broke that little part no no you would say that that doesn't work if you break that part you've broken the whole thing 
the window is broken. But see, we don't think like that, do we? I mean, that kind of makes sense, but, but we, we think more like this when it comes to sin. You break your leg, and you come in on crutches to church. And somebody sees you on the crutches, and they, might, and, and they probably would not say, Hey, oh, your body's broken. Your body is broken. No, you would say, no, no, no. It's, it's not my body that's broken. My arms are fine. My nose is fine. Everything's working. It's just my femur. It's my bone. It, it broke. It's my femur, right? That, that's what it is. It's not my body. It's one bone. That's what happened. And you give the story behind it. We, we, we kind of reduce it to one thing. It's just one thing. And James says, hypothetically speaking, if you were to keep every single law and you only broke one, you'd be guilty of breaking the law. Singular. As a unit, you would be guilty of breaking it. And you come in on your crutches and you say, it's just a broken leg, it's just a flesh wound. No, no. You are, you are hobbled. You know? You're not working. You're not functioning appropriately. You're not functioning well. You're not healthy. You're broken. I know we'll never start talking like that. But that's the way James is talking. You, you've broken the law as a whole. And that's a big deal. Um, one more thing on the law thing, just, just, just so we become clear on this. Um, I am not saying, I am not suggesting that James is saying we should go back to the Old Testament law. I'm not, he's not saying that. Jesus, remember, fulfilled the law and shows us how to fulfill the law ourselves. He's going to talk about the law of liberty in a moment here. Um, so that's a whole other sermon, a whole other big topic. But, but there are some parts of the law that we reinterpret through Jesus, like unclean foods, like worthy unclean foods. That was the point. Gentiles with unclean ones that have now been cleaned up. So, uh, but moral laws are timeless and they continue. And James is talking about those. You see them in the Old Testament. You'll see them in the New Testament. You've got to follow those things. Um, or you're guilty of breaking the law. Finally, lastly, um, bring it on home. You, uh, sin is worse than you think. Thirdly, because you become a lawbreaker. You are now classified as a lawbreaker. Um, listen to what he says. Um, verse 9. If you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law as, what do you call now? You're a lawbreaker. Some translations say you're a transgressor. Um, look at verse 11. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. This is the class that you are in. You're all lawbreakers. This is your, without Christ, this is your identity. Minus Christ, you are the lawbreaker. I don't like to put myself in a class with the lawbreakers. I like to separate myself from them so I can feel better about myself. I like to look at my good works, you know. Uh, I, if you keep the whole law but stumble in one point, I'd feel pretty good about myself. And James says, don't. If you kept the whole law and stumbled in one, you should feel terrible. Really? Um, I remember my first jail visitation. Went in there, went into this little room before you get to the place where you're going to meet the, the, the inmate. And, and you're alone in this room that has a locked door in front of you and a locked door behind you and you're waiting for them to buzz you in. I felt like I waited a little too long there. I started to sweat. 
my first jail visit, okay? Just standing there. I don't, I don't know how old I was. And I got in there and I met with the gentleman that I was meeting with. Um, talked about what had happened. Talked about how his family was doing. Talked about what he's learning from this. How is he experiencing God where he's at. Prayed with him. And I remember walking out of there and I thought, I'm so glad... And this is, this is an arrogant thing to say, so I'm just, just pointing that out. I'm so glad that I'm not like him and never been to jail. So glad I've never been to jail after being in there and hearing about it. I've had prison visits and thought the same thing. Um, they don't lock up gossips. They don't lock up people who lust and do it in front of a screen. But do you think you're better than the guy that got locked up that day? Do you? Because James says, you're a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. I thought the guy in jail was the law. No, no, you're the lawbreaker. So stop the pride thing. Stop the, I'm in a different class. I'm better. I've never been there. You're a lawbreaker. They just don't lock up people like you in this country. That was a joke. Um, but, but, it, but, it's, but it's serious. They just don't lock up people like me for what I do. But God sees it. God sees it. And He'll deal with it. He'll discipline His children to bring them back. I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty good. Most days. And I don't attend to my sin because of that. And James helps me see I'm a lawbreaker. And the only thing that changes that is Christ has died for me and made me a saint. And that's where I want to leave you with this morning. Um, Look at this. Look at scripture here at the end. I love this. I don't know that anybody else says it like this, but James does. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is the law of liberty? What is the law of liberty? I thought about this a lot. I think in the context of James, what he means is, when you believe the gospel, you are now free to do things that are good for others, to love your neighbor as yourself, to show mercy to people who don't deserve it. You are now free to act like Christ to the people that are around you. You are now free from prejudice and racism and all of the stuff that you excuse as just little sins that don't matter. You're free from that. The gospel frees you to live for Christ. Maybe, maybe you have a nagging sin and and you know you're going to wrestle with that the rest of your life. Could be alcoholism. Could be addictions of many different kinds. And you're going to fight those the rest of your life. And maybe this is where this comes in. 
that a great day lies ahead in the not too distant future. A great day lies ahead when you will be free of the addictions, free of the temptations, free of all of the things that pull you down. That will be a great day. And, and James talks about that. You're going to come under judgment one day. And on that great day, you're not going to be judged for the bad. You're going to be judged for what you did that was good. Isn't that encouraging? I want to be judged by the law of liberty. God, look at my good stuff and evaluate it. Tell me how I'm doing. Judge me by that law and forgive me of all my sins. Would you bow your head and close your eyes now? Lord Jesus, I know all of us have to do business with you in some way today. But I'm thinking in particular as we go into this communion time, and I'm guessing that there are some who have those nagging sins. There are probably some that have sins they're just ignoring, excusing, not dealing with. And so I pray that you would give each of us the courage to face those sins. It's kind of a sobering word from James. I like where he ends it with the law of liberty. But those are some sobering words. That maybe I have defied you by not dealing with my sin. And that you take that seriously. And that when you have a church that winks at sin, like the one James is writing to. Oh, that's a big deal. So would you help us pursue holiness? To be holy as you are holy? And may communion that we're going to take in a few minutes remind us that you have cleansed us from all of our sin. You don't hold it against us. And now the law of liberty is in effect. We are now free to live for you and love our neighbor as ourself and say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The law, may the law of liberty rule in each of our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.